Friends, if you have your Bible, please turn to Joshua chapter 3. We're going to read the entire chapter, 17 verses. Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Hear now the word of the living God. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they, they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priest, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord, your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hevites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priest bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, with the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away, at Adam, the city that is beside Jerathon, and those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jer- Jericho. Now the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel 
was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Friends, for many of us, the beginning of a new year represents a moment of transition. Of course, when you look at the New Year's Day, January 1st, is completely arbitrary. Nothing in nature tells us why January 1st should be the first day of the calendar year. But there is something new about the new year, right? We feel it. It's a new day, it's a new year, and we know that there is something new about it. If you're like me, maybe you've made some New Year's resolutions. How are you doing? I'm not doing so hot, just for the record. Or maybe you have some things planned for this year that you can't wait to get to. A new baby, a a wedding, a career change, a move to a new place, a vacation, you name it. Again, the beginning of a new year represents a moment of transition. Community OPC, I wanted to look at Joshua chapter 3 with you this evening because like us, the people of Israel were also facing a time of great transition. They have come out of the land of Egypt, they have wandered through the wilderness, and now they have finally arrived at the Jordan River. They're about to enter into the promised land, the land of Canaan. And my hope and prayer for you and for me tonight is that our God, the living God, will teach us how to face times of transition well. And it's going to come down to what we look at. So first, the Lord will teach us to look away from the Jordan River And then he will teach us to look to the Ark of the Covenant. And he will teach us to look at the Lord of all the earth. Again, look away from the Jordan River. Look to the Ark of the Covenant. And look at the Lord of all the earth. Let's follow the story, shall we? So Joshua and the people of Israel, they have finally arrived. You cross the river and you're right there in the promised land. And they decided to stay by the Jordan River for three days, perhaps to get some rest before they enter into the land. Now, I want you to close your eyes and imagine with me yourself standing in the middle of the camp of Israel by the Jordan River. What do you see? You see lots of tents with lots of people You see children playing on this side of the camp. You see grown-ups preparing for dinner on this side of the camp. You see lots of animals, too. Oxen, goats, sheep. They're mooing and buying from everywhere. It's quite noisy in this camp. With all the people, with all the animals, it's quite noisy here. But then you realize that there's a sound that drowns out all the noise in the camp. What is that sound you hear? 
is the sound of the Jordan River. You may open your eyes now. In verse 15, the author casually lets us know that this was the time of harvest. So the Jordan River was overflowing all its banks. In other words, at this time of the year, when the people of Israel were about to enter into the promised land by way of crossing the river, the Jordan River was not a nice, steady stream of water peacefully flowing by. No, it was flooding. It was raging with strong torrents. Just imagine the sound of that. And then imagine yourself listening to the sound of overpowering waters for three straight days. What do you think that would do to you? I mean, psychologically, emotionally, on all accounts, what do you think listening to that overpowering sound of many waters do to you? What do you think the people of Israel felt as they were staying by the Jordan River, looking at the promised land, about to cross the river into the land? No doubt, they were excited, right? I mean, this is a history-making moment. It's a great day to be alive. You're about to see the Jordan River. You're about to cross into the land that God promised to your forefathers. So, so no doubt, some of the Israelites, I'm sure, were excited about what it was about to happen after the three-day stay. But those three days spent by the Jordan River would have been enough to teach them that this is not going to be a walk in the park. In fact, I believe that the people of God at this very moment were filled with fear and anxiety. As they faced this great moment of transition, yes, they were excited. Yes, they were anticipating the fulfillment of God's promises. But at the same time, their hearts were filled with fear and anxiety. Now, we see this in three places in today's passage. If you would go to verse 10, we, we, we hear that we see there Joshua saying to the people these words. Actually, verse 7. Um, God is saying to Joshua these words. He says, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. In other words, it sounds like the people of Israel we're not so sure about Joshua's leadership. Sure, Joshua is young and brave. There's no questioning that, but let's face it. He ain't Moses, and it just wasn't the same. If you go down to verse 10, this time Joshua says to people these words. He says, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. In other words, it sounds like the people were not so sure about God's leadership. 
doubts started to creep into their hearts as they were listening to the waters of the Jordan River. And they started to question whether the living God was really among them. Whether the living God was really going to drive out before them the people of the land. And in verse 4, we come to the very heart of their fear and anxiety as they faced a time of great transition. At the end of verse 4, these are the words that we read. For you have not passed this way before. For you have not passed this way before. I mean, just imagine that. No one has come this far. Not their parents, not their grandparents, not even Moses has come this far. Maybe they felt like they were on their own in this journey by themselves as they were looking at the river and the, 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 the lands that was beyond the river, they saw the great unknown. What would happen if we crossed the river and actually enter into the land? There stood beyond the river the uncertainty of the future. Will we be able to drive out the people of the land? Will we be able to withstand the giants, the fortified cities? Is God with us? Is he going before us? They have not passed this way before, and they were anxious and afraid as they faced a time of great transition. Friends, earlier I said, the beginning of a new year represents a moment of transition. Now, some of you are excited. Some of you are hopeful. Some of you just can't wait to see what this year will bring, and maybe this year will be the best year of your life. It may very well be so. But maybe others of us, like me, like the people of Israel, are standing at the edge of the moment of transition the year 2023, and maybe feeling somewhat anxious about the future. Maybe you are grieving at this time, and you just don't know where your grief will take you this year. Maybe you are worried sick about a loved one, and you just don't know if that person, that, that he or she would ever get better this year. Maybe you are anxious about the finances and you just don't know if, how you're going to make ends meet this year. And if you lived life long enough, you know that life has its own way of surprising us. You pick up the phone in the middle of the night and you have not passed this way before. Your boss calls you into her office one day and you have not passed this way before. You have a regular checkup, you go to your doctor, and you have not passed this way before. Friends, please hear me. There are and there will be times in your life, maybe even this year, when you cry out, I have not passed this way before. This is not what I expected. 
And I don't know what to do. Where is God in this? Is God even with me in this? In verse 11, Joshua give us an answer. There he says, Behold the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth. Joshua is saying, look away from the Jordan River. I know that you're looking at it. I know you're hearing it. It's right there and it feels so real. And the problem that is right in front of you, the circumstances that you're in, feel so insurmountable. But I want you to look away from the Jordan River and fix your eyes on the Ark of the Covenant. Now, what was the Ark of the Covenant? Well, it was a wooden box, 29 inches wide, 49 inches long, 29 inches high, overlaid with gold inside and outside, complete with two poles for transportation. Now, if you were to walk into Israel's tabernacle, that is Israel's portable temple, at the very back room in the tabernacle, you would only find one piece of furniture. It's just one room, and there's only one furniture in that room. And that furniture would be the Ark of the Covenant. Arguably, the Ark of the Covenant was the most important furniture in Israel's tabernacle because it represented God's throne on earth in the midst of his people. So as such, the Ark of the Covenant symbolized God's power for his people and his presence with his people. So when Joshua is commanding the people, behold, the Ark of the Covenant, he's not telling them to stare at this wooden box. This wooden box has no power. But what Joshua is commanding the people to do is look through this wooden box to the Lord of all the earth the living God who is for you and who is with you. He's saying, look away from your circumstances, the Jordan River, and look to the Ark of the Covenant, the living God. Now, here's the question for all of us, for you and for me as well. This is January 22nd. We're we're still pretty early in the year. And as we begin this new year, as we face this time of transition from 2022 to 2023, the question is, what are you beholding right now? What are you looking to for your hope, for your security, for your significance? I think many of us here know that we're supposed to look to the Lord, right? We all know that we're not supposed to look to ourselves. We're supposed to put our trust in the Lord and look to Him. But what ends up happening and what will inevitably inevitably happen as the year progresses is that we're going to find ourselves looking to ourselves to deal with the uncertainty of life. And there are basically two ways of doing this. On the one hand, there is a passive approach. And this is what the passive approach to life sounds like. I have not passed this way before. 
and I'm not going to make it. I quit, I give up, I resign. The passive approach to life, instead of looking to God for the source of hope and help, it, 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 it makes us stare at our circumstances and think about all the ways that God cannot come through in this situation, that there is no hope. And the passive approach to life makes us to stare at ourselves, fixate on, fixate on uh, our, our failures, our insufficiencies, our inadequacies, and our deficiencies. The problem with the passive approach to life is that it doesn't leave any room for faith. It ends up making us more bitter and resentful toward God. It, it ends up making us sink deeper and deeper into self-pity and depression. Maybe some of you are in this situation right now. You know, this is the approach to life that the first generation of Israel took when they heard the report from the, the spies, the negative report about the promised land. This is what they said. They said, why is the, why the Lord bringing us into the land to fall by the sword? Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. We have not passed this way before. We're not going to make it. Let's abort the mission and go home. So that's the passive approach to life. But on the other hand, there is an active approach to life. And there are two versions of this. First, there is a religious version of this. You know, in verse 5 of today's passage, Joshua calls the people of Israel to consecrate themselves before they cross the river. So, the active religious approach to life hears this and then says, I have not passed this way before, but if I consecrate myself enough, then I will be able to make it. So people who take this approach to life, they're busy and active in their religion, not as a way of worshiping God and serving God, but as a way of controlling and manipulating God. So people who take this approach to life, they say to God, God, you owe me. You owe me a good life because I've been a good Christian. You told me to consecrate myself and look, how consecrated I am, at least more consecrated than that person across the street, than that person on that pew in the church. I did my part, God, so you are supposed to do your part, solve my problems, and grant my wishes. Friends, it's a terrifying place to be in. And sadly, man, man, many Christians, in the, in, the, in, the, in the name of religion, in the name of faith, they actually approach life, they actually approach God with this kind of mindset. You know, the point of consecration was to remove anything that distracts us from looking to God, but the active religious approach to life takes even that and turns it into a way of looking to ourselves rather than looking to, to God. Second, there is a secular version of this. 
and the active secular, ver- secular approach to life sounds like this. I have not passed this way before, but if I am smart enough and if I'm hardworking enough, then I'll be able to make it. So people who take this approach to life, they are busy and active and planning and making strategies. They are listing all the possible courses of action and weighing their relative merits. They are getting out there, getting their hands dirty. They're hustling through life, believing that if they just work harder, they will somehow be able to control They'll be able to manage. They'll be able to tame the uncertainty of life. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with careful planning. There's nothing wrong with hardworking spirit. In fact, the Bible encourages it, right? The book of Proverbs is full of wisdom in this area, and Joshua, as a wise leader, does all of those things in this book that bears his name. But the question is whether we do all of these things in reference to the living God or not. Friends, neither the active religious approach to life nor the secular, active secular approach to life will help you deal with the uncertainty of life. It's like this. You're out on the beach. You're building a sand castle. And that castle is your life. And you're having a lot of fun with it. You're adding stuff to your castle. You're building more towers. You're expanding your territory. You're, you're, you're planting flags left and right. And then a thought occurs to you. Maybe I need to protect my castle. You know, Who knows what's out there? Who knows what may come to to destroy my castle? I need to have a plan. So what you do is you start building walls of sand around your sand castle. It looks pretty sturdy. You're pretty satisfied with that. You're pretty confident that whatever comes, those walls are going to protect your life, the sand castle. And then you look up. What do you see? There is a tsunami coming. Do you think the walls of sand that you have built to protect your sand castle can withstand the tsunami that is coming? Friends, life sometimes feels like a tsunami without any warning, without any it comes upon us fiercely and forcefully. Sometimes it seems like life has no rhyme or reason. It's full of twists and turns, surprises and disappointments. And there is no way to predict what will happen this year, let alone tonight. Sure, life is uncertain. But friends, death, is not. And death sure comes at us like a tsunami. We have built our life, and death, like a tsunami, comes, sweeps everything away, 
And when the tides are back into the waters, we are no more. The tsunami of life and the tsunami of death. Do you think the active religious approach to life, the active secular approach to life, can help you deal with the uncertainty of life and the certainty of death? No. Friends, Christianity offers us a better way. A better way. The Christian faith that many of us hold dear to our hearts, it is paradoxical in nature. And what I mean by that, it is neither passive nor active. You know, we even see that in today's passage. Who among us would, would look at the people of Israel and say that they are being passive? No, they are not being passive. They are obeying the Lord even when they don't understand what He's up to. They are consecrating themselves according to the Lord's command. They are beholding the Ark of the Covenant. And they are walking into the raising waters with the Ark of the Covenant. Just because the Lord said so. This doesn't look like a passive approach to life. But then we know, as we read through the text that the people of Israel are not the main actors on the stage. God is. It is God who is seated on His throne, who goes before the people of Israel. He is the one who is doing wonders. He is the one who is parting waters. He is the one who is going before the people of Israel. And His people are simply told to watch and marvel and worship. Now, in the worldly ears, that doesn't sound like an active approach. Friends, the Christian faith is neither passive approach nor active approach to life. It is paradoxical. And this paradoxical nature of the Christian faith is what creates this dynamic force in your life and in my life to enable us to deal with life as it is. Deal with life as it comes. Without this paradoxical faith, we are, we're going to be either overly optimistic and naive about, about life, or we'll be overly pessimistic and cynical about life. Without this paradoxical faith, we're not going to be able to withstand the tsunami of life, let alone the tsunami of death. It's the new year, 2023. Much of the year is still ahead of us. And like the people of Israel, we say, we have not passed this way before. And what we desperately need tonight and for the rest of the year and for the rest of your life is this faith in the living God. So where do we find this faith? How do we know that the living God is for us and is with us? Let's finish reading verse 11. There Joshua says, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. You know, we see here two phrases, the, cov the, the Ark of the Covenants and the Lord of all the earth. 
Now, the translators of ESV Bible did a good job of explaining the relationship between these two phrases, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and the Lord of all the earth. How are they related? They supply the word of to explain the relationship. So Joshua says, Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth. But the literal Hebrew construction goes like this, and it's quite jarring. The Ark of the Covenant, the Lord of all the earth. Or we could say, the Ark of the Covenant, comma, the Lord of all the earth. In other words, in, in the mind of the inspired author of the book of Joshua, the Ark of the Covenant and the Lord of, uh, Lord of all the earth are so identified, so interwoven, so intertwined with one another that you cannot tell where one begins and where one ends. And this close identification between the Ark of the Covenant and the Lord of all the earth points to a deeper reality, a more profound reality to which this wooden box points to. And it's this. The Ark of the Covenant is not merely a symbol of God's power and His presence. It is a shadow and a type of the reality that was to come. Centuries later, we behold something. Rather, we behold someone standing in the Jordan River. In the Gospels, we read that Jesus, the Lord of all the earth, the ultimate reality to which the Ark of the Covenant pointed, has arrived at the Jordan himself. And he is standing in the Jordan River, being baptized by John the Baptist. And this time around, it is not the waters that are parted, but it is the heavens themselves that are parted, torn open, and there comes a voice from heaven. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, any Jewish Hearers, any Jewish readers, any students of the Old Testament would have known what was going on at that moment because the title son in the Old Testament was applied to the people of Israel as a whole. So among many other things, when Jesus was standing there in the Jordan River being baptized by John the Baptist, what was happening was he was being appointed as new Israel. And from then on, we see in the early parts of the Gospels, him purposefully retracing the failed steps of old Israel and bringing their story to completion. So right after he's baptized, Jesus is driven out into the wilderness and is fiercely tempted by Satan. Old Israel failed. In the wilderness, they they disobeyed God and they worshipped the golden calf. But Jesus, the new Israel, succeeded in the wilderness exactly where his people failed. In their place for their sake. And after successfully resisting the devil's temptation, 
Jesus re-enters into the Palestine, re-enters into the land of Canaan. And in a very real sense, what Jesus is doing there is reconquering and repossessing the promised land. But this time, not with sword, but by preaching the gospel, by healing the sick, by restoring the natural order, his miracles, and casting out the demons. Old Israel failed, not only in the wilderness, but also in the land. They failed to obey God and and drive out the, the Canaanites from the land. But Jesus, the new Israel, not only vanquished Satan, he went to the cross and crushed the serpent's head to forgive sins of his people. And and not only that, he was raised from the dead to secure the true and better land of Canaan, the new heaven and new earth, and everlasting rest with it. Now, there was a lot. And maybe some of you are wondering, what, what does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with this year? What does that have to do with my Jordan River? What does that have to do with this hard and difficult circumstances that I'm facing? Friends, here is the word of hope. Do you see what this means for you and for me? It's a new year. Much of the new year is ahead of us. We have not passed this way before. But friends, Jesus has gone before us. He has gone all the way. He has gone through life and death and emerged out on the other side of death so that he could be with us. Friends, Jesus is the true and better Ark of the Covenant. And behold this Ark that is going before you into the Jordan River, into the year 2023, into the rest of your life, and into death itself. And Jesus is the true and better Israel. We're going to fail. In the rest of this year, we will disobey God. There's no doubt about it. We will fail to listen to God and and, and continue to look to ourselves to deal with the uncertainty of life. But friends, Jesus has fulfilled all righteousness on your account. And now he says, my child, get up. We're going into the Jordan. And rest assured, I am going before you and I'm going with you. So, beloved people of God at Community OPC, let's face this new year with renewed hope in this Jesus. Come what may, 2023, come the tsunami of life, come the tsunami of death. It doesn't matter why we can withstand the tsunami of life and the tsunami of death because He leadeth me. What a blessed assurance that we have in Christ Jesus, our true and better Ark of the Covenant. Amen. Let's pray.
Father, you have spoken. You have spoken, and we receive it as your word. And maybe we are looking at the Jordan River right now. We're hearing it, and we are trying so hard not to crumble apart inside. And maybe some of us have these heartaches right at this moment. We just don't know about it. But we know that all of us carry with us in our hearts doubts, despairs, silent suffering, and grief. But thank you that you meet us where we are. Merciful Lord, the living God, we pray now as you send us out from this place, as you dismiss dismiss us with your blessing, that you would go before us and go with us. And when we find ourselves in the middle of the Jordan River with, with, with all of its raging waters, help us to remember that Jesus has gone this way before and I have nothing to fear and help us to hold on hold fast to him and follow him into the promised land thank you for your inheritance thank you for your hope thank you for this word of promise apply them now to our hearts by your spirit we pray this in Jesus name Amen.